Anyway, that's kind of the synopsis of Top Gun Maverick. Does anyone want to add anything that I've kind of, like, massively missed here? Or am I reducing this film to, like, a level of simplicity that uh, is unwarranted? The crazy I think, I think the simplicity is the point. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I, why don't I start, start this week, right? We'll go around the table and see how everybody liked this film. I, I liked this film. I thought it was a... Um, I thought it was a genuine throwback to an old school sort of film, which was pretty simple, had like pretty simple sort of morality, had like some emotional story, not super convincing, but there was kind of something there. Like, you know, it wasn't massively substantial. I mean, it's not an art house film, but it was had some sort of emotional story in an action film. And then like an amazing like climax sequence that was like super heart pounding. Um, yeah, it was a super entertaining film. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, but it, it's not one of these films that I think a lot about. And to be honest, uh, like after the roller coaster ride of the film itself, uh, afterwards, I, it, it starts to fade in my memory a little bit, simply because I don't feel like there's those sort of hard hitting sort of emotional character moments as much. Um, but yeah, it was like a very entertaining film for when I watched it. So that's my simple overview of Top Gun Mavericks. Like, highly recommended to watch it in cinema so that you can genuinely feel those action sequences because one of the big things with this film is that there's a lot of, like, fighter jets flying around with their the sound of fighter jet engines and, like, that rumble. And, you know, you sit in the theatre with all the crazy surround sound stuff and the massive screen and you genuinely feel that rumble in the theater i think that that actually really heightens experience especially when it gets to those the roller coaster sort of climax scenes when you see all these planes doing these amazing maneuvers and like dog fighting each other and all this type of stuff yeah so definitely go go watch this film but watch it in a cinema who wants to shoot next jerry why don't you go? Because I know that you love this film. Look, I, I did enjoy the film a lot. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I loved it. I don't think it's the the sort of high point of the Tom Cruise filmography. Even though in the post pandemic moment that we're in, uh, this movie's release feels like, or is promoted as, or is received as, Tom Cruise swooping in to save um, cinema. <laughs> the big screen experience. Yeah. And certainly that seems to have fed into the um, sort of five or 12 minute, five to 12 minute standing ovation that this movie got at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, uh, are but, you for look, real? This film got a standing ovation? <laughs> absolutely for real. And it was at least five minutes at the Cannes Film Festival. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and you know, the, 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 you know, sort of hoity-toity types at Cannes uh, bought into the notion that Thomas Mapatha Cruz the fourth had saved cinema, but you know this is this is one of the most entertaining film experiences big uh, experiences in the cinema I've had since well Mission Impossible Fallout, um, and whereas the first film was this sort of propagandistic Reagan era um, as Pauline Kael put it homoerotic homo- <laughs> commercial um this movie feels like the complete a merger of top gun with mission impossible the mission in the movie is basically an impossible mission of the mission impossible type 
Um, and for much of the film, uh, Cruz and his, you know, Maverick and his chart and his young students um, think this mission is impossible, cannot be flown. And it's only when, you know, he gets basically grounded by Don Draper and has to, and flies the course himself, is it actually apparent to the team that it can actually be done, even if it's extremely difficult. So you've got the impossible mission, you've got the assembly of the team, um, and whereas in the first film, Maverick was a complete asshole who had, you know, largely disregard for the, for the, life, of, for the life and safety of others, um, particularly in that scene when Iceman tells him, the reason why I don't like you is because you're dangerous, your style of flying jeopardises us all. Uh, this incarnation of Pete Mitchell cares very much for the safety and welfare of his team, and there's that scene in which he tells Don Draper, a.k.a. Cyclone, you, you know, one of the objectives is to get everyone home. And in that way, he's a lot like the Ethan Hunt of the last Mission Impossible movie, who's just unwilling to sacrifice any member of his team, even if it means that the, the, the objectives of the mission can be carried out more efficaciously. So we've got, I think, here the sort of confluence of all the recent Tom Cruise persona, uh, in the, and they, they, they come to be embodied in Pete Mitchell. And look, I love the Mission Impossible movies, and I love everything that's been churned out by the Tom Cruise, Christopher McQuarrie uh, collaboration over the last decade, decade and a half. This is a continuation of that. And long, long may these two continue working and pumping out these incredible spectacles. So look, very enjoyable uh, all around. And, um, and uh, even if, even if I don't buy into the hype of this, about this thing, saving cinema, um, at a moment when we are emerging from the pandemic, uh, it's it's great to have this sort of experience in the cinema to welcome us back um, into the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, yeah, I think we're we're largely agreed on that, Jerry. Like, <laughs> in terms of like the links to previous Tom Cruise films, I think one of the running jokes now is actually in every film Tom Cruise is in, there's a film, there's a scene of him sprinting, right? And I was like, there's no way they'll do a sprinting Tom Cruise scene in a film where it's about, like, fighter pilots. But they do a, sprint, <laughs> a scene where Tom Cruise is sprinting, even in a film with about fighter pilots. So, definitely, it lies within the modern Tom Cruise filmography, right? Like, it's got yeah. all the trademarks. Uh, Azure, do you want to... What do you think of it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I just, I don't have anything profound to say other than it just felt like a thrill ride in, um, you know, a fun park, which is sometimes like everything that you want from that experience of going to the movies. You know, it's exciting. It's fun. You're laughing. You're, you're shocked. You're like you're on the edge of your seat sometimes. You're just having such a fun time. Um, and I felt like it was a great, simple action movie with all the right spices, you know, like a little bit of romance, even though I do think, like, the romance aspects in Tom Cruise movies are, like, so superfluous and hard to buy into and silly. But, like, it just adds a little bit of spice, a little bit of humour, a little bit of nostalgia, um, you know, just, just to spice up all that action. It's like a, it, it creates a really good flavour balance for Tom Cruise action <laughs> movies. Um, you know, a little bit of sincerity, but not, not 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 so much that it's ridiculous. But, but you know, the right amount for this 
type of film and the right amount for someone like Tom Cruise who is really over the top and is really like sincere and in a hard to connect with way but is so charismatic and engaging to watch so I thought it was you know he just never lets me down his movies are just always <laughs> agreed in level of really cool you know um, and I just liked it you know it was a simple storyline but it was interesting enough with the whole aspect of the impossible mission and then throw in the aspect of, you know, Goose's, the the, the relationship with Goose coming home to roost in Rooster. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Adria, how long did it take to think of that one? <laughs> Was that just off the top of your head? That sort of <laughs> <laughs> lyrical fire. <laughs> I know. Like, you know, how will they resolve? How will these two men resolve this and so on? And it was it was good, you know. And the final action scene where, you know what I, I can't forget? That scene where Tom Cruise, he rescues, you know, he rescues the kids and then he's down on the floor and that fighter plane is staring at him, about to just annihilate him. The helicopter, he, right? The helicopter. Yeah, yeah. The helicopter, yeah. yeah, yeah. The helicopter was about to annihilate him. And it was, I just thought it was such an awesome scene. <laughs> Um, also, like I thought there were some stakes because even though I had a good, strong feeling that nobody was going to die in this movie, in the original, some an, a, you know an important character did die. So it was possible in this world that someone died, um, which was nice to add you know a little bit of stakes to it. Um, but look, I think it's so hard to create um, exciting, enthralling action sequences with planes as and you know fighter jets and that sort of stuff, like air vehicles, um, because you don't get a sense for how fast they're moving because you don't get things like background moving with them. You don't see the trees and the other cars and the other stuff in the background that can give you a sense for how quick um, everything is moving. So I think it's hard to create that, and yet they did that really well, I thought. So I was very impressed with that. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think that the aerial dogfight scenes for me were the the massive highlight of this film, right? Like, um, I, look, I mean, there's a lot that's said about how in this film they do, like, you know, they actually do a lot of practical effects and, you know, the actors are actually going up into these planes and that sort of thing. Um, but I think it actually does convey a certain level of, um, authenticity to those scenes um, that the audience can see, right? Like, I think, like, my favourite part of this film, honestly, is, like, you know, they do the bombing and then they fly out of it and then they suddenly get attacked by all of the, like, missiles and, like, the enemy fighters and stuff. And there's this sense of panic, right? Like, you, you see, like all these, the pilots, the camera in the in the cockpit, and you see the pilots, like, you know, their heads are swiveling around, and the G-forces are hitting them and stuff, and, like, all the radio chatter that's going on, like, it really, like, captures that moment of, oh my god, I'm about to get blown up flying at, like, a billion miles an hour. Like, it is actually really quite intense, and I think they do that super well. Like, I, I think that's, for me, that those sorts of scenes really make make this film. They really bring the audience into that situation, right? So, yeah. Um, Mags, what do you think? Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think Anage's description of it as an amusement park ride is bang on. That's definitely what it felt like. 
you go into the cinema for the spectacle and the thrill and I absolutely loved all the nostalgia and the sort of even the the dialogue felt really 80s as well so I think they captured that tone really well I loved the music um, and all the homages to homages sorry to um, the um, to the soundtrack from the original movie yeah because the opening of this film has a massively 80s style opening right yeah. where where it's like there's just like shots of fighter planes flying on and off aircraft carriers and like yes, it's, it's it's basically a recreation of the first five minutes of the original top gun yeah exactly if you go back and watch the original top gun it's 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 different in the sense that they're different shots but it's the the, the idea is exactly the same yeah 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 it, it, yeah it does feel feel like a film that was from another age no mags keep going yeah yeah, no, that, that's what I like. I loved about it, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, it's sort of introducing, again, that, I guess, that, that genre or that style to a new audience. Um, so the other thing I was thinking about was with this movie um, compared to the first one, in the first one they definitely felt like it was an ensemble cast and it wasn't, you know, solely a kind of Tom Cruise vehicle, whereas this one it really felt like a Tom Cruise movie um, and then they just needed other cast members to make it into a movie. Um, <laughs> um, so who, you know, whoever they got as the actors actually didn't really matter um, around him. Like for example, the, um, the other pilots who were part of the Top Gun Academy, I mean, besides their call sign, you don't really know them at all. And in some ways it's kind of re- irrelevant. It's really a, a chance for Tom Cruise to to come out and save cinema, as, as Gerald said. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point, right? Because in the original Top Gun, you did kind of get to know Goose a little bit. I guess in this film, you kind of get to meet Rooster. But even in the original Top Gun, I feel like Iceman had more of a character. As, as Jerry said earlier, like, Iceman dislikes Maverick, but, like, it's revealed, basically, that... Like, Iceman dislikes Maverick, not because... I mean, Iceman is a bit of a prick, but at the same time, he dislikes him because he flies in a really unorthodox, unsafe manner, right? And in this film, you have Hangman, who I guess is supposed to be the Iceman equivalent. But <laughs> he's kind of just he's, a he's douche. Just a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, I mean, whereas, like, if you watch the first one, you're like, Iceman, as, as, you know, sort of as, as, as antagonistic as Iceman is... Like, he's clearly in the right. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. He's absolutely 100% in the right when he in his assessment of the way Maverick flies. Whereas Hangman is just a douche and not a team player because his first run um, of, the, of, the, uh, of the circuit, when the, the practice circuit, he completely leaves his, his wingman behind and, um, <laughs> to, to just face, face enemy fire. So, yeah. Uh, point, isn't it? Like that's the growth that they have set up for, you know, for this character in the movie. He goes from being not a team player to a team player when he comes back to save them. Yeah, but it's like I mean, the, the level of character development. Look, this is an yeah. '80s film in that the level of character development is very shallow, right? It's like <laughs> it's like got the spices. It's just got a, little, a pinch of this and a pinch of you know, a pinch of character development, a pinch of all the elements, but not so much that they take away from Tom Cruise and his action sequence. And yeah, yeah. Action. No, um, look, you're, you're right, Adija. You're right. You're absolutely right in that 
like on reflection, I I think my major criticism of this film is that it like is kind of linked to the fact that it is an 80s style film where back in the day they just threw a pinch of everything in there oh you have to have a little bit of romance and you have to have a little bit of character development and this sort of stuff right and so they just threw that all of that stuff kind of in there right and it's kind of shallow and like we've kind of moved away from that sort of style of filmmaking over the last 20 or 30 years or whatever but I, I mean look I, I guess you know, as Mags mentioned as you, you mentioned like there is a certain nostalgia to that sort of filmmaking and you know as with all fashion sometimes you know like there's cycles in fashion right so I, I get it I get it right I get it yeah and as I think the other the other reason why this felt so much like saving cinema um, was not just the fact that you know we are in a post-pandemic moment and people are returning to the to the theaters in order to watch movies. There's also the fact that because it's nostalgic, it's a throwback to an era when um, studios were pumping out movies other than superhero or slash comic book films. Yeah. And I think even though this is part of a franchise, it's a franchise that has been dormant for almost four decades. And even though this is a legacy sequel, and we've seen lots of those over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, this is still um, something other than um, established IP of the sort that Marvel Studios is pumping out or that Warner Brothers is pumping out uh, under the aegis of of DC Entertainment. So the fact that this wasn't a comic book movie um, and even though it meant that as, as mindless and silly as it was, it still scratched an itch amongst sort of... Um, you know, cinema goes who who long for something other than um, superhero tentpoles um, dominating the box office. So I think those two factors combined to make this feel like um, even more of an event than it would have been had all things gone to plan. This was released um, two years ago. Yeah, and, and look, I think in terms of what makes this film very different from other sort of films that have being released now, right? Like, I think the other things that really go into... The, there's quite a lot of things that go into that mix, right? You know, it's like a very more classical style of storytelling, right? Um, you know, like, it's it's the sort of film that, you know, ideally you watch it at a cinema, right? There's, I, I think, other things that go into it. Like, you know, we've reviewed quite a few films that... Like, modern films, a lot of them, are quite preachy in some ways. Like, there's almost a sense of activism in some of these films. And this film doesn't really have any of that, right? Like, this film brings it back to, like, it's just, like, old-school storytelling, pinch of this, pinch of that, right? Doesn't have that sort of preachiness, that activism, that social activism aspect to it at all, which I think, like, you know, was wearing a little bit on certain parts of the audience. And can I say, I like I like things that unite everybody through common emotions, and that's why I find activist films like they're really important and they have their place, and you've got to you know you, they're they're enjoyable in their own way. But I think we really need a fair amount of this totally like values neutral, um, you know, uh, beliefs neutral, political neutral, like to the point they didn't even identify who the bad guys were, kind yeah. of movie 
unites everybody. We're all on the same team. We all feel the same things and we're sharing that with each other because we're sharing the same emotions and we're yeah. on the same page. And that's something that film can do for us. You know, it's something it can give us. And I, I really appreciate that Tom Cruise makes those types of movies. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Look, probably the most political thing in this film was the fact that for like one second, you see the back of Tom Cruise's jacket in the first five minutes of the film and there's like a Taiwanese flag, right? I think that was the, the most political thing that was in this film. And absolutely for me, that was appreciated as well, right? Look, I mean... And also, I'm Taiwanese, so <laughs> I'm super pro that as well. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I, I think the other thing which is interesting about this film is that there's a lot of reboots. Re- look, I mean, when I say there's a lot, there have been, like, when you look at stuff like Star Wars and that sort of stuff, right? There have been reboots of old franchises, and kind of the angle they've gone is to kind of subvert expectations. Um, and so even though it's like you have like a previously loved main character, but then the film itself is actually about something else or it's about tearing down that character or putting, like making them into a hobo or something like that, right? Like there's like, you know, nowadays there is that style of writing to like, oh, we're just going to subvert all expectations and oh, it's no longer going to be about Luke Skywalker, he's a hobo now, right? Like, and... I mean, I guess, look, I can understand why people kind of do it. They want to do something different. They want to do something which in their minds is interesting. But what I found interesting about this film was that, like, this film played it, like, straight and narrow, right? The name of this film is Top Gun Maverick, and this film is 100% about Maverick. Like, as we've said all through this podcast, right? This film is about Tom Cruise's character. It's not about Rooster, Right, Rooster is a supporting character to Maverick. Maverick is still the guy who runs the mission in the end. He's the main character. I found that kind of interesting, right, nowadays, that they would choose to do that. But in some ways, like, you know, it feels more classical. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, I, I didn't mind it, right? In some ways, like, because the fashion has gone so far into all of these films are about subverting expectation, the fact that you don't have a film that subverts expectation, it's like, oh, wow, that's kind of subverting my expectation, that you're not subverting <laughs> expectation. Well, I mean, does... Um, Tom Cruise already got the subversion of expectations out of his system many decades ago. I think the first Mission Impossible is actually the first reboot that subverted expectations because because Jim Phelps, the hero of the show, is the villain of the first Mission Impossible movie, which is the biggest subversion of expectations, I think, of any um, movie reboot of an old franchise I think we've we've still seen, even though that that tends to be obscured now because people don't remember... People remember the movie more for, like, the Langley sequence and other stuff, Mm. not for the fact that it took the main character of the show and turned him into the villain. So Cruz has got that out of his system, and now every single one of his movies is kind of a is basically kind of a Tom Cruise flex. You know, I'm Tom Cruise. I'm so powerful. I can get Paramount to write these checks to pay the U.S. Navy eleven thousand dollars per hour to hire each one of these planes, um, and and we can just put real people, real actors in these cockpits and fly them for real, in a way that didn't happen when Tony Scott was in charge of the first Top Gun, because every time they tried filming one of those sequences, members of the cast would throw up. 
this time round, you know, they got they, when they audition actors, they got them to sign releases, they got them to, you know, they got them to basically fill out a questionnaire say indicating whether or not they were good with heights, whether or not they were good with, uh, whether or not they thought they'd be able to physically stomach the process of making this movie, um, and they went about, you know, sort of doing it with with crews, um, basically the or- you know, the conductor of this orchestra. And this movie has pulled in so far north of 600 million US globally. This is the biggest movie Cruz has ever made. I mean, it is a massive flex. He's basically, uh, he's basically, he's basically, I think, got Paramount Studios by the balls now. So whatever he wants, he will get for the, at least the next five years. Uh, yeah, but you know, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm quite happy. Like, I'm happy that Tom Cruise oh, is successful. Right? <laughs> like, because I remember, do you remember during COVID, like there was all that scandal, scandal in inverted commas, when they released the audio clip of him like shouting at like his crew or something like that for not co- following COVID regulations, and like in some yeah, ways, I'm like. Yeah, exactly. Good on him. It's kind of like he was trying to keep filmmaking alive, right? Yeah, yeah. and he's he does good work. Yeah, he is. He is, and he, he, he and he's put out a film which is like super entertaining that kind of unites people. That is not sort of divisive at all. Look, I mean, it's not super deep, but it's like super entertaining. So good on him, right? Good on him. I, I don't know. What, I think he's he's doing Mission Impossible next, right? Or he's done Mission Impossible. That's his next film. Is that right? Yeah, he, that's his, they are his next two films because they're, 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 it's Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Parts 1 and 2. What? Both parts being filmed he's, at the same time. He's doing Part so, 1 and 2, what? Okay. Yeah, yeah so, so it's going to be an absolutely epic pair of movies, at, both directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who has firmly established himself as Tom Cruise's main muse slash collaborator. Yeah, uh, and it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome because Macquarie Macquarie knows how to make Macquarie was one of the writers of this film, uh, and he's basically worked on the scripts of every Tom Cruise movie going back to I think Valkyrie. Yeah. Um, and oh, wow. he knows how to make action movies. He knows how to make action movies when he doesn't have a script. If you listen to, if you if you follow the process by which the last three Mission Impossible movies were made, you realize that Macquarie starts shooting before he's actually got a script. And yeah. he sort of assembles the movie in post-production. Yeah, um, that is actually insane. So talented. Yeah, yeah. but he's, he he's, he just has this knack for putting together stories. Yeah, um, even with all the he, he can shoot uh, he can shoot movies. And what they do is they he, he, he when he sits down with Cruz, he says to Cruz, "What do you want to do?" In terms of what what sort of skill do you want to display? Uh, do you want to fly helicopters? Do you want to hang on the side of a plane? And, and that's the first question before what the, what is the story of the movie? The, the, the first question that's asked is, Cruz, what do you want to do? Cruz says what he wants to do. They film that shit. Then <laughs> they retrofit a story around all of that. <laughs> that explains why he's running. Yeah, yeah, I want to run. I, also, I need to have a running scene. Yeah, I, I need to show off my perfect running form, and uh, and so and so like again, just another display of like the extent to which Cruz is basically this one man industry. He's built around himself this machine that's a sort of within Paramount Studios that that's devoted to making him making him look awesome and good, uh, and in the process entertaining others. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, this machine has been sort of whirring away for at least a decade and a half with him and Macquarie at the helm. And they, they, they know what they're doing and they've, they're so comfortable with each other. They know that it's so skillful at putting together the, the elements of, um, an entertaining movie. Um, even if, you know, as in this movie, the plot's really simple or as in the last Mission Impossible movie, the plot's like very Baroque and at various points makes no sense. They don't, they, they, they are still nonetheless skillful enough to, to assemble the pieces of, a really entertaining movie, uh, bug of the plot. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, sort of the, what, what we're seeing is in this movie is kind of the, the, the high point of, of what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think we've said this in other podcasts, but it's kind of like a lot of movie plots, when you really drill into it, a lot of the stuff doesn't really make sense. And you're like, what they're doing is illogical, right? The skill in all of this is kind of like, is ever, is addressing around it good enough that, like the internal mm. logic still works and that the audience doesn't question it. And 100%, there are things in Tom Cruise films that don't make sense. Like even in this film, right? Like there's stuff that if you really drill in, it's like, why are they doing that? But the, the artistry in this is that they've crafted this action film where like, unlike a bunch of other action films we've seen, we're not sitting there going, oh, well, that was dumb. The logic didn't make sense at all. Instead, we're like, wow, this action is really cool. And, like, the story makes sense largely, so I'm just not going to question it. So, yeah, I think there's there's a certain skill in that in and of itself. Um, Okay, last thing. Did you guys enjoy the Val Kilmer Um, little cameo? I like the nostalgia of it, and yeah, I did, because it kind of made someone else important other than um, Tom Cruise, and it was nice of him to share that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, are they the same age? Is Val Kilmer the same age as Tom Cruise? I think Kilmer might actually be a bit older. Oh, okay. Yeah. He looks a lot older, right? He looks so much older. Like, I mean, Tom Cruise is still running around, right? Like, look, I know that Mark Helmer has had health issues and stuff, but... Yeah, I mean, he he has only had throat cancer and he's he's now fed through a tube uh, that goes into a hole in his throat. So, um, so he literally cannot, cannot talk anymore. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's pretty sad. Um, But look, I mean, that scene in and of, of itself... I thought the end. I thought that was actually a quite a cleverly crafted scene because, it, you know, it was the sprinkling of emotional spice that you kind of needed in that moment, and then mm-hmm. at the at the same time it ended. Like I thought the end, like the way that scene ended was amazing. Right? They had the scene, like the bit when, like, you know, Iceman asks him who's the better pilot, and Tom Cruise says something like, you know. We're having a nice moment. Don't yeah, ruin it. don't ruin it. I was like, that's such a like. Whoever wrote that line, it's like that's a really genius line. Like the way that scene is ended, like that that you know you have a really sort of emotionally satisfying thing, and then it's funny but still emotionally quite resonant. That line, that the entire cinema laughed at that line. It was like it was really well done. I thought. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a really great scene, and I think that that scene has. Tom Cruise doing the most acting and probably his best acting <laughs> since Magnolia. He's, like, you know, he's, he's basically become exactly. a full-time action star. Right? He has. He's become a full-time action star, and so he doesn't get to emote um, <laughs> in his movies. 
And this is the first time he's actually emoted. Yeah. In, yeah. in about two decades. Yeah, I know. <laughs> his only emotion is basically sprinting. That's his emotion. Yeah. Sprinting and puffing. Yeah. And, and it's actually a, it's actually a nice reminder that for all the movie star Flash, like Cruz, you know, can, can act when when called upon. He can he can act. Um, we, we we've kind of forgotten that. I mean, the, you know. He, this is a guy who, you know, his career in his early stages, they offered him a lot of money to make Top Gun 2 just a couple of years after the original Top Gun came out. And he said, no, I don't want to do that because I want to work with great directors and, and, and you know, sort of put in good performances. So he was in movies like The Color of Money, directed by Martin Scorsese. He was in Rain Man. And he made a whole bunch of serious dramas for a very long time. And then at around the time when, you know, this whole, the whole sort of couch jumping thing happened, he sort of pivoted away from that and went straight into sort of, I am full-time action man and I'm going to risk my life to entertain people. And that's, that's great. But that has also meant that over the last 20 years, we've forgotten that, you know, he is first and foremost, or at least he was originally an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Is there anything else we want to talk about? In terms of Top Gun Maverick, anyone? Mags, nothing. Okay. Well, look. On that note, look. I, look. The only other thing I want to say is that I really also enjoyed the beach-like football oh, yes. scene. I thought it was cool. oh, yeah. I thought it was like a massive throwback, right? Like I thought, you know, like yeah. the original volleyball scene was such a ridiculous scene, right? Like it was like, why is this scene even here? And then in this film, they were just like, I don't care, I don't care. This this film is here for like dudes to get their top off and like show their six packs. So whatever, I don't care. This is exactly what this scene is here for. I was like, I laughed, I laughed when I watched that scene. I was like, this is this is. There's a certain purity to this scene, which is just like, this is just gratuitous and I don't give a crap. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really glad that, like, Tom Cruise chose to, like, film that scene in that way. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I lie. I loved it too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, look, the other thing, look, apart from the fact that... You, like it was like you know there were guys with their tops off and that sort of thing at the same time like that scene also has a element like with the music and everything there's an element of joy like that you do sense like the what it's trying to convey is a sense of camaraderie and joy and that sort of stuff right and i definitely like i smiled when that scene was playing right like so yeah i think it, it worked it worked so um cool okay so that was top culture double dates uh, view of Top Gun Maverick. Pretty good film. Like, really good film, actually. Really entertaining, uh, fun film to watch. Everyone who hasn't seen it should go and probably see it at the cinemas. Um, Tom Cruise is a crazy person, but he makes really good films. So, yeah, go watch it. Um, on that note, thank you, everyone, for joining me this afternoon. Thanks, Anager, Mags, and Jerry. Um, say goodbye, everyone. Bye! Bye! Ciao.